Chapter One of Futility. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Margaret Espayat. Futility by William Gerhardy. The Three Sisters. Chapter One. And then it struck me that the only thing to do was to fit all this into a book. It is the classic way of treating life for my ineffectual return to Vladivostok is the effectual conclusion of my theme. And the harbor has been strangely, knowingly responsive. It has sounded the note of departure, and the tall stone houses of the port seem to brood as I walk below, and set the tone. And because of this, and the sense that I am marking time till the big steamer comes and bears me home to England, I am eagerly retrospective. When the Simbirsk of the Russian volunteer fleet had at last completely vanished, carrying away the three sisters to Shanghai, I came back to my room at the hotel. I had just moved in there. It was a bare and dingy room in a small and shabby hostel. A bed was eventually provided, but in lieu of bedsheets I was to lie on a dirty tablecloth which was to serve again as tablecloth next morning when I had my breakfast. "'Is this sheet clean?' I asked. "'Yes,' said the boy attendant. "'Quite clean?' "'Quite.' "'Sure nobody slept on it?' "'Nobody, only the boss.' Big drops like tears fell on the window-pane and instantly made room for others. A ruined writing-table stood in the corner. I sat down. I fingered a typically Russian pen with a no less typically Russian nib, such as one is likely to encounter in almost any Russian government department, and dipping it repeatedly into ink that was like syrup, I made a bold beginning. When night came I lay there on the tablecloth, hungry and worried by enormous hungry bugs that bit like dogs, and thought of Nina, Sonia, Vera, Nikolai Vasilievich and his unconventional family. In the morning the rain ceased. I paced the country, now in the embrace of autumn. I wandered in remote places by the sea, in the abandoned park that used to be a park essentially for lovers, and thought of them. Here the foliage was more dense, the corners more secluded, the disorder more magnificent. I sat on an old bench that had names and initials cut out with a penknife, under the trees turning gold and auburn, and shivered in the sharp autumn wind that sent the fallen yellow leaves whirling down the alley. And the vast sea of Russian life seemed to be closing over me. 2. It was somewhat in the manner of an Ibsen drama with retrospective revelations that I was initiated into the complicated affairs of the Bursanov family. I had been asked to call by the three sisters, all speaking simultaneously, a charming bouquet, the queen among whom I recognized only too well, and I called on them one evening in midsummer at their dacha, at a seaside place, ten versts from Petersburg, a little bashful, perhaps, for I had not been invited by their elders, and I was met by the bouquet, in the hall of the little wooden structure that hung out above the sea. They sprang out to me successively, introducing themselves in order of age. 
Sonia, Nina, Vera. They were then sixteen, fifteen, and fourteen. I think I had told them that day, when I had first spoken to them, that I could not for the life of me distinguish one from the other, and had deliberately mixed up their names. It was, of course, poor fun, but they, then almost children, had seemed grateful for it and giggled, possibly for want of anything better. I was led into a room full of people whose relationship I did not yet comprehend. By the presiding posture over the samovar, I thought that I could recognize the mother, and I walked up to her, and she put me at my ease, talking Russian, I noticed, with an unmistakably German accent. "'You don't any of you resemble your mother very much,' I told Nina afterwards. "'She is not our mother,' Nina said. "'She is Fanny Ivanovna.' I should not have thought that that youngish-looking, rather short but handsome man, well-dressed but somewhat sluggish in his bearing, was their father, by the negligent, almost contemptuous manner in which his daughters treated him. But Nina called out, Papa, and he turned round, and then I saw that she had his eyes, those steel-gray eyes softened by a charming, disquieting, sidelong look that was hers to give. And every now and then she would look straight into your eyes, anybody's eyes, down into your very soul, bathing her soul in your soul causing you to feel as though you were, indeed, the only man who really mattered in the world. And Fanny Ivanovna pestered the life out of Nikolai Vasilievich, that was their father, by always asking silly questions, and Nikolai Vasilievich would look bored and sullen, and would wave his hand at her as if she were a pestering fly, and say, Drop it! or he would imitate in an unkindly manner the preposterous way in which Fanny Ivanovna talked Russian. Elektrishno! How often have I told you that it's Elektrichestvo? It's all the same, said she. Then the three sisters insisted on dancing the one-step, and the hesitation waltz, at that time just coming into vogue abroad, while Nikolai Vasilievich was ordered to play some wretched tune on the piano over and over again. And I thought to myself, what a bouquet! The ravishing experiment over, it was suggested at dinner that we should all go to the local theatre to see Chekhov's three sisters. Very well, said Fanny Ivanovna. But Nikolai Vasilievich must come with us. That is a condition. Nikolai Vasilievich frowned. You'll be too many in the box as it is. We can take two boxes, I suggested. There is no excuse, Nikolai, cried Fanny Ivanovna, and a dark shadow flitted across the handsome face of Nikolai Vasilievich. But still I did not understand. It was not till the end of the second act of the three sisters that I had an inkling, my first intuition, that all was not well with the Bursanov family. You know the manner of Chekhov's writing. You know the people in his plays. It seems as though they had all been born on the line of demarcation between comedy and tragedy in a kind of no-man's land. Fanny Ivanovna and the three sisters watched the play with intense interest, as if the three sisters were indeed their own particular tragedy. I sat behind Nina and watched with that stupid skepticism that comes from too much happiness. To me, buoyant and impatient, the people in the play appeared preposterous. They annoyed me, 
they distressed me intensely. Their black melancholy, their incredible inefficiency, their paralyzing inertia crept over me. How different, I thought, were those three lovable creatures who sat in our box. How careless and free they were in their own happy home. The people in the play were hopeless. Good God, I cried, and grasped Nikolai Vasilievich by the arm as the curtain fell upon the second act. How can there be such people, Nikolai Vasilievich? Think of it. They can't do what they want. They can't get where they want. They don't even know what they want. They talk, 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 and then go off and commit suicide or something. It is a hysterical cry for greater efforts, for higher aims, which, to themselves, mind you, are vague and unintelligible, and a perpetual standstill. It's like Faust in Gounod's opera, who takes the hand of Marguerite in prison and cries, We flee! We flee! while making no visible effort to quit the middle of the stage. Why can't people know what they want in life and get it? Why can't they, Nikolai Vasilievich? Nikolai Vasilievich sat still and silent and very sad. He shook his head gravely, and his face darkened. It's all very well, he said slowly, to talk. Life is not so simple. There are complications, so to speak, entanglements. It cuts all ways till, till you don't know where you are. Yes, Andrei Andreitch. He sighed and paused before he spoke again. Chekhov, he said at last, is a great artist. I walked home with them to their dacha along the dark and muddy road. It had been raining while we were in the theatre, Nina clinging to my arm. 3. It was one of those long, happy evenings which it had now become my custom to spend regularly at their large, luxurious flat in the Mohovaya in St. Petersburg, that I was further initiated into the domestic affairs of the Bursanov family. They had been sitting silently for a time. Nina seemed sad, Sonya and Vera sulky. It was twilight, but no one had thought of switching on the light. No one would dance. I played the piano for a while and then stopped. "'What is the matter, Nina?' I asked. She was silent, and then said in her childish open manner, "'Oh, papa and Fanny Ivanovna.' "'What have they done?' "'They are always quarreling, always, always, always.' I paused, hating to appear intrusive. "'You know,' she said in that half-humorous, half-serious way she had of speaking, and then paused a little, and then decided to have it out. Papa and Fanny Ivanovna are not legally married. I know, I said. How did you know? I suspected it. Did Vera tell you? I didn't, cried Vera in loud protest. She was fourteen, but tried to look two years older, and indeed succeeded. I'd never dream of telling such a thing. She was shocked and angry at the unjust accusation so provokingly flung at her. It had seemed to me for some time past that there was no love wasted between Vera and her two elder sisters. Vera was different. We can't stand this any longer, said Sonia. I'm sick to death of their quarreling, day and night, day and night. But if they'd only stop at least when we have guests, 
but no, they're worse than ever then. I could bear her out there, that is, if I were really classed as a guest, for I was, rather, what Nikolai Vasilievich called Svoj Chelovic, one of the family, so to speak, and in my presence Nikolai Vasilievich and Fanny Ivanovna certainly let themselves go. They were like cat and dog. There was no mercy shown, no gallantry displayed. Nikolai Vasilievich jibed at her, imitating her murderous Russian with a malicious skill that set the room shrieking with laughter. Fanny Ivanovna, her white face flushing in patches of unwholesome pink, would writhe with pain, and, having gathered her forces, give back as good as she got. Nikolai Vasilievich would snatch out some isolated word that she had mispronounced and, adding some pepper of his own, would fling it into the audience of friends and strangers that he had asked to dinner and so pluck out the sting at her expense. "'I'm sick of home,' Sonia said. "'I shall run away.' "'How can you run away?' "'I'll marry and run away.' "'No one will marry her,' said Vera from her perch in the far corner." Nina sat mute, wearing her natural expression, half serious, half ironic. "'What do they quarrel about?' Nina looked up at Sonia. "'Shall I tell?' "'Of course.' "'Aha!' Vera cried maliciously. "'Aha!' "'You shut up!' said Sonia. Nina looked vaguely at the window. "'Papa wants to marry again.' The rustle of Fanny Ivanovna's approach was heralded through the air. She appeared. Andrei Andreitch, she cried. She always greeted me in this way with acclamation. How do you do? How dark! Nina, Vera, Sonia, why don't you light up the elektrichno? How many times, Fanny Ivanovna, said Sonia sternly, have I told you that it is not elektrichno, but elektrichestvo? Ach, it's all the same. It's not all the same, Fanny Ivanovna. Andrei Andreitch, what news? None, I am afraid, Fanny Ivanovna. Has Nikolai Vasilievich come? You know he never comes, said Sonia, and yet you always keep supper waiting. I'm tired of waiting for papa, Nina said petulantly, lying back on the sofa and swinging her pretty legs. He is later and later every day, came from Vera's perch. Fanny Ivanovna, I'm hungry. Sonia was really angry. I would rather he didn't come at all than just come to sleep here. Let him stay there, Fanny Ivanovna, let him. Ach, I think he might still come if he waited a little longer. Are you very hungry, Andrei Andreitch? Say yes, say yes, cried the three sisters. I was amazed at this open display of hostility towards their own father, especially from Sonia. I understood the look in Fanny Ivanovna's eyes. No, Fanny Ivanovna, I said, not at all. Well, then we'll wait just a little longer. He promised to come. There was a ring at the bell. It's Nikolai Vasilievich, cried Fanny Ivanovna. But Nina shook her head. Papa never rings so timidly. It must be Pavel Pavlovich. The three sisters sprang off their perches and dashed into the hall. Ah, we heard Sonia's voice. Who is it? Knyats? shouted Fanny Ivanovna. No, came the answer. The other one. Oh, Seberin. 
they are both pavel pavlovichi sighed fanny ivanovna as though the fact distressed her but it was really because she disapproved of them both that she sighed baron wunderhausen as barons do in russia came from the baltic provinces spoke russian and german equally well excelled in french knew english was polite cunning and adaptable to any circumstances had big calf's eyes was habitually somewhat overdressed twenty-five years of age and had a billet in the ministry for foreign affairs he came regularly every evening made love with his eyes and we danced we danced and then had supper having given nikolai vasilievich up as we gave him up regularly every evening after waiting for him for two hours his absence annoyed everybody for they suspected where he was i'm going away said nina as she danced with me going away where to moscow she said looking up she had a wonderful way of looking up at you when she danced she had a charming way of speaking quietly enigmatically half humorously half lovingly for always i cried in dismay in answer she held up two fingers behind my head which was supposed to give me the appearance of a horned devil and laughed i reveled in her laughter for how long i asked two months why to see mamma i didn't know you had a mamma in moscow i have she made the obvious answer and i smiled and she laughed again and held up the devil's horns what is she doing in moscow i asked and felt it was a somewhat silly question living she replied and it seemed to me that she blushed and for some reason that blush seemed to tell me that there too there was trouble who are you going with vera she's going back for good mamma wants to keep her aren't you sorry no good god i cried i am sorry to leave sonya but you are coming back to her i asked anxiously yes but i am sorry to leave her all the same i am sorry to leave fanny ivanovna she added and papa she reflected a little no she whispered and whom else i persisted smiling into her eyes and trying to press my own claims i won't tell she said when are you going to-morrow morning we only decided last night fanny ivanovna and i she said quietly that i should go to take vera to moscow she smiled enigmatically we danced two rounds before she answered that's what we tell papa i looked at sonya as she passed us with her partner hesitating marvelously she made a moue at me and smiled i knew that she was happy the baron danced with that characteristic air of his which conveyed that it gave him pleasure to give pleasure four i saw them off the next morning in the desolating atmosphere of the nicholas station on a cold november morning they were wrapped in heavy furs the men had turned up the collars of their shubas against the biting frost there was snow on the platform we walked up and down quickly in order to warm our feet nikolai vasilievich presented a pitiable sight with his pince-nez all blinded with snow his moustache frozen and his nose reddened by the cold protruding from his turned-up collar nina he said 
Yes, she turned round. Don't go. I must. You won't come back. She will keep you. She shook her head. Don't go, Nina. Don't go, I said. She stood thoughtful in indecision. Don't, Nina, cut in Nikolai Vasilievich. She did not answer. Nina, he said again. No, she must, intervened Fanny Ivanovna. This is all nonsense. She will go and come back quickly. Won't you, Nina? Yes, said Nina. She turned to me and slipped her hand under my arm. I won't let you go, she said petulantly. You'll have to come with me. You know I can't. I won't let you go. Nina, I said. Yes? Come here. I took her aside. Nina, will you marry me? She looked flippant and humorous, and yet there was just a trace of seriousness in her look. Yes. I felt relieved, oddly, as I might feel if I had just concluded a satisfactory business transaction. The second whistle went, and with the other passengers they boarded the train. Nikolai Vasilievich came up to her to say good-bye, and probably thought he might chance it once again. "'Don't go, Nina! Nina!' "'I shall come back,' said Nina. Then they all said good-bye to Vera, and no excess of emotion was displayed on either side. Good-bye was said again, then the train moved, and they waved handkerchiefs. 5. I called on them one evening in Nina's absence, and chanced to find Fanny Ivanovna alone. Nikolai Vasilievich, as ever, was out. Sonya had gone to see a friend. "'Sit down, Andrei Andreitch,' she said. "'I am always doing needlework, as you see.' I took a chair. "'I do it. It is extraordinary, Andrei Andreitch. I thought I would do it so as not to think, but it's just a fairy work to make you think.' And so I gave it up and began reading in order to forget, in order not to think, and I found, Andrei Andreitch, that I could not read because I had to think. I think all day and all night. Ach, Andrei Andreitch. And I knew that she was going to confide in me. Ach, Andrei Andreitch, Andrei Andreitch, if you only knew... She glanced behind her at the door to make sure that nobody could hear her. Ah, Andrei Andreitch. I waited patiently for her to begin. She said, Ah, Andrei Andreitch, several times more, and then began. She spoke in marks of exclamation. I suppose you know, Andrei Andreitch, that I am not Nikolai Vasilievich's legal wife? I know, I said. How did you know? She turned on me. I suspected it. She paused. Well, now that you actually know so much, I feel that I must tell you everything, if only in fairness to myself. But don't tell the children. They would be shocked if they knew that I had told you. No, said I. Ach, Andrei Andreitch, you know... She suddenly plunged into her native German, the foreign Russian tongue being inadequate to express her overflowing feelings, but now and then, quite unintentionally, she would employ some Russian word that came handy to her, 
that in her excitement she could not be bothered to translate as she proceeded to unload her feelings, an urgency too long deferred. "'Andrei Andreitch, she said again and again, in a kind of appeal to my sense of justice, "'Sie sollen wissen that I met Nikolai Vasilievich in Switzerland, in Basel, when he was there on a cure, after he had separated from his wife. He was very handsome. He is still very handsome. Ah, much too handsome. You would not think that he was fifty-three. Ah, Andrei Andreitch, I have so much, so very much to tell you that I don't really know where to begin. Well, I met him. I knew that he was married. He told me so himself from the first. He was always straight and honorable and above board. He said that he had separated finally from his wife and expected to get a divorce, and that I was to come to Petersburg with him and wait until he got his divorce, and then we were to be married at once. You see, we loved each other. She looked at me. Quite, I said. I must tell you here, she continued, more about myself and my feelings and desires at that time. I belong... I hope you will forgive me for saying it, but it is a salient point in my tragedy, to a very proud family indeed. My father and all my brothers were officers in the German guards. Soon after my father's death we lost all our money. I had to set out in search of a livelihood because I, as the elder sister, had to ensure that my sister's education was not interrupted and that it should be possible for my brothers to remain in the army. I had a good voice, and I went on the stage into musical comedy, and, Andrei Andreitch, curious is it not, that in spite of the fact that I and I alone kept the whole of our family, my sisters, my brothers, my aged mother, my grandfather, my grandmother, and two of my aunts, they were ashamed of me, you see, I became almost what you would call a star. I don't want you to misunderstand me. I shouldn't have said that they were ashamed of me. That is misleading. They were ashamed of my profession, as I was myself, of course. I understood them. I reveled in my sacrifice. I was young, good-looking then. Don't look at me now, Andrei Andreitch. I have changed through suffering and age. Then, suddenly, I was seized by a craving for decency, respectability. You see, no woman really knows what it means to be respectable until she's had to give it up. I thought, if only I could marry a man who was respectable and rich, who would be willing to support my family. My heart craved for the title the status of a married woman because that title was denied me. And then came Nikolai Vasilievich. I loved him. Love was thrown into the bargain. It was unexpected, irrelevant. And then love became salient, supreme, altogether dominating. And as I realized how I loved him, so I realized that my family, my sacrifice, and all that this had once meant to me were but of a secondary importance in the face of my love. Love 
was some greater thing, altogether greater. And Nikolai was rich. He owned a large house in Petersburg and had a gold-mining concessions in Siberia. But that seemed a minor point. He was to get his divorce, and then we would be married. We came to Petersburg and immediately got busy with the divorce. He visited lawyers. His friends and relatives all intervened and gave him advice, some in favor of a divorce and others against it. I did not at that time know what a hopeless, cruel, and heartbreaking thing a Russian divorce really is. Nikolai's wife did all she possibly could to prevent his getting a divorce. Eisenstein, the man she ran away with before Nikolai Vasilievich and I met, had no money. He was a Jew dentist, with no practice. They succeeded in proving to Nikolai Vasilievich's satisfaction, I never quite followed the case, that if he asked for a divorce, he would be compelled to plead guilty and so lose the children. And Nikolai Vasilievich was determined to keep the children. On my advice, Andrei Andreitch, I had begged of him, entreated him, insisted on it. Divorce or no divorce, you must keep the children, Nikolai, I said. I knew that they would be spoiled, their lives marred and wasted if they fell into the clutches of their mother and that true dentist. Yes, I insisted on it, Andrei Andreitch, even if it meant there was to be no divorce, and what that cost me. For I hadn't told my people in Germany that Nikolai was married at the time. I didn't want to add further injury to their pride. I thought it would be a matter of a few weeks, and that then Nikolai and I would be married, and all would be well. How could I know? How could we know? We had the children, and what sweet girls they were, but no divorce. Nikolai sent money to his wife regularly every month so as to keep the children, and so I lived with him just as if I were his wife, and, indeed, few people knew that I was not. We lived very happily. He sent money to my large family in Germany regularly every month, and naturally they thought that I was married to him. How could I tell them that I was not? What did it matter, after all, provided that they didn't know? I felt that it was my duty to sacrifice my personal pride for Nikolai's children, and such nice, tender, beautiful girls they were too, Sonia and Nina, so loving, so good, so pretty, so obedient, so well-behaved. Everyone who saw them said to me, Fanny Ivanovna, what nice children you have, you must be so proud of them. I was. And, Andrei Andreitch, I didn't tell them, you know, that they were not my children. It may have been wrong of me, but I did not. I was really so proud of them, Andrei Andreitch, and as I had sacrificed the divorce for them, it made me feel as if they were my own. Nikolai was still always sending money to his wife to keep her quiet. She always threatened to make a nuisance of herself. She wanted the money, too, badly indeed, because that man Eisenstein she lived with 
wasted her money in speculation on the stock exchange. Often she would demand money in excess, and when Nikolai refused, she would come up to Petersburg, enter our house, or go to their school and carry the children off to Moscow and keep them there with Eisenstein. Once she even threatened to bring a case against Nikolai Vasilievich on the ground that he had run away from her with me, if you please. She was tired of Eisenstein, who had spent all her money and proved a dismal failure in dentistry, and, I think, she was anxious to get back to Nikolai. I was in the way, you see. So what do you think she did? She spread stories about me. She said I was a German governess in her household and had beguiled Nikolai into running away with me. She spread this tale among our friends and relatives each time she came up to Petersburg. And what about the girls, I asked? What did they think of Moscow and their mother? Andrei Andreitch, she pleaded with all the fervor of a woman at a disadvantage. A mother is a mother to her children, always, whatever she has been or is. She can plead love and sympathy and unhappiness with success. But the sudden changes certainly affected the children's characters. One evening, on their return from Moscow, when we had guests to dinner, Nina, who was only eight, said, "'Do you know, Papa, Mamma says that Fanny Ivanovna is just a lapdog you cuddle on your knee for a while and then chase away.' "'How that stabbed me to the very heart!' But Nikolai was kind to me. I looked after him. I worshipped him. He would come to me in the evening and say, "'Fanny, I don't know what I would do without you.' And then he would think of what he could say to comfort me, and unconscious of my happiness—happiness, Andrei Andreitch, because I trusted him implicitly—he would say, "'When the children grow up we will get a divorce, Fanny.' Never mind the divorce, I would say. So long as my people in Germany don't know, it is all I want. I am happy, Nikolai, really. I know that I am your real wife. Let the children grow up first. We must think first of the children. Always, Nikolai. And then I would find myself returning to the question of divorce involuntarily. You see, in my secret heart, I wanted his divorce so much, and I would say again, We must not think of the divorce, Nikolai, just to make him repeat his promise. When the children grow up, we will, Fanny. I will get a divorce then. And the children, as I say, were such a pride and consolation to me. There were moments when I looked at them and thought I wanted no divorce. Those were my best moments, when I thought that, that, I did not really care whether he got it at all. Sonia and Nina were the compensation. What about Vera? I asked. Fanny Ivanovna paused suddenly. She looked as if she were going to reveal an unspeakable secret, but then decided not to. Oh, Vera. She always lived with the mother. Nikolai Vasilievich hates her. She is different. There was another pause. We lived like that eleven years, she said, and stopped. And now? I asked, and was horrified at my disastrous question. And now, she said, her face quivering with emotion, 
he wants to marry a young girl of sixteen she burst into tears she sobbed hysterically and i stood there helpless filled with pity and an eagerness to help and not knowing how to do it saying fanny ivanovna fanny ivanovna don't cry then i tried to think of what was usually done on such occasions i rushed for a glass of water when she had drunk it and wiped her tear-stained face with her little lace handkerchief she continued breathing heavily he came to me one evening in april and said fanny i must talk to you very seriously and what might it be that you want to talk to me about so seriously to alter schimmel i said and followed him happily into his study thinking that he wished to consult me about some business transaction he often consulted me on his affairs sit down fanny he said and i was astonished at his seriousness i sat down and he seemed to be waiting till i was comfortably settled in my chair fanny he said don't be frightened i've got to marry zina zina andrei andreitch was a girl in sonia's school and sonia's class of sonia's age seventeen andrei andreitch i laughed i could see that he was joking i thought of the date it was april not the first but the twenty-first yes i remember perfectly don't laugh he said i am perfectly serious i must i have thought of it all i fought against it i have thought of every possible way that i could settle it there's no other way i can't fanny it is love this time real love there is nothing that you can say that i have not thought of there is nothing that you can say that will alter my decision nikolai you are mad du bist verrückt i cried wahnsinnig and again i tried to think that he was choking but nikolai is obstinate as a mule obstinacy runs in the family his grandmother was like that nina has it from her father obstinacy what a terrible vice there is no reason no meaning in obstinacy beyond further obstinacy it's a disease there is no strength no character about it the weakest thing on earth is so often obstinate take nikolai a weak and sloppy man and such a mule she paused perhaps i like to think that it is obstinacy i cannot bear andrei andreitch to think that it is love nikolai i cried and laughed i really felt it was funny think of yourself look at yourself in the glass romeo look at your gray hair and those wrinkles those dear dear wrinkles he had acquired them in my time and so i had an absurd conviction that they should be mine you're fifty-three and she is a girl of sixteen seventeen he said as though it mattered seventeen i cried ha 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 i tried to laugh but it had no effect on him i expect too that my laughter lacked real merriment oh mein gott mein gott mein gott it is love he said very seriously it has come late but still it has come at last and i am proud don't laugh 
I am proud that at my age I should be capable of such love. I thought that I had loved, I had loved you, Fanny, but this is the love that comes once only, to which you yield gloriously, magnificently, or you are crushed and broken and thrust aside. Du bist verrückt, Nikolai, I repeated, wahnsinnig. And then I thought of my people, and then I cried. She fumbled for her handkerchief. She sobbed again. Again I dashed for a glass of water, this time doing the job gallantly, efficiently, as though I had been doing that sort of thing all my life. She was bent on going on. I cried, and he cried with me, and tried to console me but I only thought of what I could say to stop him from taking this mad, disastrous step. He said, I know it is terrible, heartbreaking for you, Fanny, and the children. The children, Andrei Andreitch. I had forgotten them. I, who had sacrificed everything for them, divorce and everything else, I had never given them a thought in my disaster. I took it up, Andrei Andreitch promptly, I even admit somewhat dishonestly, for I was thinking more of myself, of me, 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 me. I had lived with him for eleven years. Think of your children, I cried. Think of your children, Nikolai. They are yours. They are not my children, and yet I have sacrificed my life and my honor for them. I tried to shame him, but I had to realize that Indeed, nothing could shame him. I mean, he was already ashamed to his full capacity, conscious of unpardonable sin, conscious of being a bad man, the very worst man, had admitted it all to himself, and was satisfied, as though this confession to himself had cleansed him of his wickedness, and he had come out of it clean, sanctified. That's what I couldn't stand, Andrei Andreitch, that he should have told himself that so good and wise, and indeed well versed was he in his own wickedness, that there could be no crime, no sin, of which we others could accuse him, of which he had not already, in his goodness and wisdom, accused himself, and so forgiven himself, and started clear, afresh, with our lives all wrecked and ruined. That's what I can't forgive him. That's what Nina can't forgive him. But imagine our consternation when he tells us that he had never really expected our forgiveness when he had made up his mind to marry Zina, his mind evidently having been made up in spite of that knowledge. Why, it would be far better if he had not realized how he had sinned than to plume himself on being a sinner unavoidably and bowing to his fate so readily that you almost suspected that, after the manner of his race, he had bribed it heavily to please him. I am afraid I am overstraining this point, Andrei Andreitch. But it is, after all, the point. At last, I sprang upon him. What do you propose to do, Nikolai? What do you want us to do? Speak, tell me. 
he shrugged his shoulders. Live on as we have been living, you looking after the children? What if I am married to Zina? I can still come home every night to you and the children. It changes nothing. Nein, best in dunk, I said. No, thank you. Blago daru was. I will return to Germany as soon as you give me the money. Provide for me for life. I will not leave otherwise. In her great tragedy, she was still a sound businesswoman. End of section one.